Let's pray. Father, open my mouth now that I might speak in a way that makes it easy for all of us to receive from you the good things you have for us in the scriptures. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, once again, we come to the cross. The cross of Jesus is an old place now. All this happened a long time ago and in a different world, really. The world of Roman soldiers and their brutal work. The world of fervour and ferment about whether someone is the Messiah, the Christ, the chosen one or not. Is it all you know, too long ago, too far away, too remote from our lives to matter? The cross of Jesus is also a hard place to come to. It's a terrible death. A sneering set of leaders and soldiers who are delighting in this. Is it all just too unpleasant? What good can it do us? How can the cross help us with all that we face in the world, in life? When we watch the news and read the paper and see COVID and war, floods and supply chain issues and creeping superpowers... We've got conflicts over women and men. We've got conflicts over race and politics. We've got conflicts over science and populism. We've got conflicts over history and culture. How can the cross help us with this? Surely we're better off, you know, focusing on the positive, perhaps. Getting on with solving these problems, doing our research and educating ourselves and reforming and innovating. And isn't that... Better than going back to this old hard place, the cross? Well, we do need to come back to the cross, and especially uh, in the Gospels, the accounts of it as we hear in Luke, because it has gifts for us. It has these three gifts for us this morning. Firstly, it reveals our fundamental problem. Secondly, it reveals God's fundamental love and compassion for us. And thirdly, it reveals the way home to him. So, let's unpack these three gifts. Firstly, it reveals our fundamental problem, which is alienation from God. Killing someone deliberately is perhaps the ultimate act of hostility. It's the ultimate expression of anger and the will to destroy. The crucifixion of Jesus is an expression of human anger at Jesus. And of the rejection of who Jesus was. It's the fulfilment of a human will to destroy, here, the Son of God. God incarnate. God with us. And as this happens to him, Jesus prays. As this ultimate hostility is enacted against him, he prays, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Added to human hostility... To God is human ignorance of what we are doing. Another dimension of our trouble, our fundamental problem. You might say, can things really be that bad? Do we really want to kill God? Well, let me put it like this. We find what God asks of us difficult. He commands us to love, to forgive, to be generous to be faithful, not to covet or envy. 
And we find that hard, impossible. We don't like the way that God deals with us. We don't like what he puts in our lives. We don't like it that he doesn't always favour us, give us what we want, make things go our way. Especially we don't like our mortality, our weakness, our vulnerability. And all of this builds up a certain amount of resentment and fear. Why did this have to turn out this way for me? Why does that person get what they want and I don't get what I want? You may not say it that loudly and stridently, but the feeling is there. Why does God, if he's there, lay such a burden on us, on me? Especially the burden of suffering and death. We don't accept these things. We regard them as unjust. We resent them. And we express the kind of anger that's generated by this resentment and fear in hostility. And God is not really available for us to take our hostility out on him. So we, we do sometimes blame God for things, but we also find that other human beings are easier to blame and punish. And so the violence of our angry thoughts, our cutting words, our cold shoulders, the gossip and the slander we might indulge in, the pushing and the punching, the scheming and the sneering, this comes out of us because all is not well for us. We're not whole, we're not healthy, we're not pure. For all our progress, we cannot seem to shake this. We human beings, we generate hostility and and ill will with a seemingly inexhaustible capacity. War and atrocity, cruelty, violence in the street and in the home, abuse and trolling and threats online, Nasty texts flying around, an appetite that we have for attacks, for takedowns. And all of this appetite we have for these things drives social media's polarisation of our culture and our opinions. Our clicks betray our hearts. We all must be on our guard against our own discontent, our own frustration and resentment and fear. They boil up so quickly and easily. And all this happens because we are in exile from paradise. We are under the sentence of death and we buck against what God asks us to deal with, what God himself, we buck against one another. This is our fundamental problem. Jesus prays, forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they do. But the cross shows us actually what we do. We turn on one another And the way we turned on Jesus illuminates that in our turning on one another, we are also, at some deep level, turning on God. Although it does not seem so to us. There is our fundamental problem illustrated in the cross. Secondly, though, the cross reveals God's fundamental love and compassion for us. You might not think the human race is really worth a lot of love and compassion, but Jesus prays, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. He doesn't pray, Father, repay them, for their callous hearts are hostile to you. He prays, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Jesus resists all temptation to exercise his power to save himself. 
Jesus had power to save, to heal, to raise from the dead, to resist and evade those who opposed him or tried to lay hands on him. He'd done this before. And many there at the foot of the cross were using these past deeds to mock him now. He saved others, let him save himself. If you were the king of the Jews, save yourself. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself. But Jesus doesn't save himself because he's there precisely to save us. He had said to his disciples the night before as he broke and shared the loaf of bread with them, this is my body given for you. Jesus knows us. He knows us at our best and at our worst. He suffers us. That is, he lets himself be crucified, mocked, and insulted. He lets the human race have our way with him. He suffers for us as well. He suffers the curse of God in our place. He accepts God's judgment on human beings. As one of us, as a human being, he willingly undergoes what God has laid upon his willful and wayward human creatures. He submits to death for us and in our place and all of this to return us to the paradise we have lost. What a deed, what an act, what a heart. The cross shows us the love, the compassion, the forbearance, the mercy, the grace, the persistent pursuit of human beings that is at the heart of God. He's there on that cross to save and to bless us, even as he is killed and mocked for doing it. So the cross shows us our fundamental problem, it shows us God's fundamental love, and thirdly, it reveals the way for us to come home to God. One criminal there is caught up in the blind hostility, but the other comes home to God. And he shows us what's involved in coming home to God. It begins with the fear of God, that is, the respect of God and his judgment that we owe to God. Don't you fear God, this man says to the other, since you are under the same sentence? He says, have you seen yourself? Do you know whose sentence you're under and for what reason? Not only is there the fear of God, the respect for God's judgment, there's the acknowledgement of personal guilt and liability because he had seen himself and his friend we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserves this man now accepts God's judgment and God's right to judge but there is thirdly a recognition of Jesus quality and his identity Jesus' quality is that he is blameless. This man, says the crucified thief, has done nothing wrong. In the midst of all the calculating, the compromised and envious and the violent that surround him, Jesus is true. This man has done nothing wrong. There's his quality. And his identity is that he is the king of God's kingdom, the crucified criminal turns to this dying man and says, Jesus, remember me. 
when you come into your kingdom? It seems like a crazy request. Who, what, what can this man give anyone? He's on the way out. He's got a sign above his head that says, the king of the Jews. But it's a mocking sign, isn't it? It says, here is what happens to you if you claim that you are the king of the Jews. But the sign is actually true. The criminals saw that it was true. Here was not a defeated pretender dying, but here was somebody worth petitioning, worth asking something from. Jesus, remember me. Once you're in power, which doesn't look very likely right now, but once you're in power, be favourable to me. Here is the road home to God. A respect for God and his judgement, an acknowledgement of personal guilt and unworthiness, an appeal to Jesus for mercy and grace. And at the end of that road is this promise. Today you will be with me in paradise. A paradise was originally a garden, a place of beauty and fruitfulness, of refuge and peace. And cast out from the paradise of Eden, we wander. And we do not know what we do. But Christ on the cross leads us back to where God would have us be in the end. To all who pray, Jesus, remember me. He will say, you will be with me in paradise. Let's pray. Father, help us not to miss the gifts that you have for us here what it shows us about ourselves, what it shows us about your love, what it shows us about the way home to you.